And now it's time for our regular sports show, Game of Two Halves, every Monday at 5.15pm, where we host the sports podcasters from The Straits Times. I'm Rachel Kelly, and with me are sports reporters Nicole Cha and Kimberly Quek. And we also have a very special guest today, National Cage Ariel Loiter, who is the first Singaporean to earn a full scholarship to play NCAA's Division I basketball. Let's kick off the show with you, Ariel. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. What's your background? First of all, thank you for having me. So I'm Singaporean Israeli. My dad is Israeli and a PR in Singapore. My mom is a Singaporean. I was born in Singapore, but I moved to Israel when I was like a baby. It's when I was one years old. Lived there for eight years and came back to Singapore after that. I lived in Singapore for eight years before moving to the U.S. to a boarding school. And I'm the academy for my last two years of high school to pursue my dream of uh, earning a Division One scholarship. So Ariel, tell us, how did you fall in love with basketball? What was that pivotal moment for you? So before basketball, actually, I was doing a lot of other extracurricular sports. I was doing tennis, swimming, playing the violin and piano. And they were mainly selected by my parents, you know, to help me stay active and then stay with my friends outside of school and, you know, just help me find my passion. And one of the days when I was still living in Israel um, in fourth grade during a PE lesson, my first coach, he showed up to my school and he was saying, offering all the girls to come and try for his club team. I heard it and my dad was a big fan of basketball, so I would watch everything, but I never really understood the game or anything like that. And something just triggered like excitement and curiosity about it. So I wanted to give it a try. So that same day, I went to my first practice with him and I just touched the ball and I started you know, I started going through the practice and I just fell in love with it. I just, it was like, I couldn't even dribble or shoot or do anything, but like I just fell in love with it. I found, it felt like I found a new way to express myself, you know, and slowly just it went from training twice a week for an hour and slowly build up to training every day, four to five hours with a club team on my own. And it just, it revealed so many characteristics person about myself that I didn't even know I had. Like, I didn't know I was so competitive. I didn't know I was so driven by goals, by challenges. Like, my coach, he would give us challenges, like, monthly challenges of, like, okay, you have to do this specific move. You have to make this many shots. And mm. I would go home and work on it. So it was perfect. I just couldn't get enough of it. Congratulations on hitting that goal and, you know, earning the scholarship to play Division One basketball with Colgate University. Can you tell us, what are your long-term targets now? And how do you think you can get there? Yeah, thank you. I'm very, I'm very excited. First of all, when it comes to college, my first and foremost, my goal is to help my team win the Patriot League Championship, which is the conference championship. You know, I do have my personal goals, but she is a shooting guard, you know, to break the most threes made in one season, which is I want to get to 100 and then winning rookie of the year in my conference and then making the all-rookie team. But the team goal is always a priority for me. I'm a, I'm a very goal-oriented person, but I'm playing team sports. So team always comes ahead of me. Right? If I will do whatever it takes to help my team get there. Ready? Even if it goes on the account of you know not achieving my personal goals. So first and foremost, winning the Creature League Championship. And after that, I'm planning to um, continue playing professionally, ultimately in the WNBA, but possibly you know, even in Europe, in the EuroLeague. And I also want you know, to help bring the basketball scene for women in Singapore to a global stage, where they will be playing, where they will be 
helping after, you know, in the ministry level or, you know, just in being involved in some kind of way to influence others to pursue the same goal, to aim at that high level. And that said, Ariel, what's your message for other young and aspiring female local athletes? First of all, like I said, every goal is within reach. You just, it's just how much you're willing to work for it. You know, you got to push yourself to limits that no one else is willing to do. That's how you get you get the edge. And don't and then don't let yourself or others put limitations of you because of your where you come from, your height, or any other physical attributes. Like I am one six four, and which is considered even in women's boxing, it's considered short. But you know, I didn't let that stop me. I know that I have my own advantages as someone who's shorter. I'm quicker. I I'm smarter. And I can read the court better. Yeah. So you know, the hard work and sacrifice you make, they always pay off. And secondly, you know, mental toughness is such a huge part of being successful and not that even as a person, you know, being mm. unbreakable when everyone else is tearing apart, you know, that sets you apart from everyone else. And lastly, just have, you should have the most belief and confidence in yourself more than anyone else has in yourself. Yeah, no goal is too big if you believe you can do it. Well, thank you for those inspiring words, Ariel. We've now reached the halftime point of our podcast. And if you like the Straits Times game of two halves, you can listen to us live on Money FM 89.3 from 5.15 p.m. every Monday. Or you can subscribe to hashtag a game of two halves on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify and like us and give us a rating. Now back to the second half of our conversation with our Straits Times Sports podcasters and the pandemic has thrown the sports calendar into disarray. Last week, the Singapore Sevens and the rest of the HSBC World Rugby Sevens series was cancelled. Kimberly, what do you make of the cancellation of the Singapore Sevens? I mean, were there other options like holding it behind closed doors? I think it was expected, you know, given how the organisers would have faced a lot of obstacles if they'd gone ahead with the event. So the 7th was actually supposed to take place three weeks after the Singapore Grand Prix, which mm-hmm. has also been cancelled because of COVID restrictions. And I think, you know, like the Grand Prix, the Singapore 7 shares a similar profile in its international appeal. But with all these, you know, travel restrictions in place right now around the world, it would have made it very hard for... 16 international teams and foreign fans who make up about a quarter of the crowd yearly to come to Singapore. You know, there would also have been feasibility of large-scale gatherings. So there was the question of whether large-scale events like the Singapore Sevens would be able to take place in October. And like right now, Singapore is in phase two of the reopening of its economy and large-scale events are still not allowed. It may take a few months before we reach phase three and even then there would probably be some restrictions. So, you know, going to your question about whether it would have been possible to hold it behind closed doors, I think it was that some infectious disease experts saying maybe that that would be the best way forward, but I think organizers were planning for the event with spectators in mind and, and that was not possible. So, you know, and it maybe wouldn't have made so much sense financially as well. Not a surprise that it was called off. Yeah, and, and it would have been hard to stage shit with all these uncertainties. And that is yeah. a big part of the Sevens, isn't it? The atmosphere and the crowd. What are the repercussions of not having it this year? So last year, Singapore secured the rights to host the Singapore Sevens till 2023. So um, I think right now they're in discussions with World Rugby about you know how this will affect the contract, whether it will roll over for another year because this year's edition didn't take place. And then there would also be the impact on the economy. Of course, the Singapore Sevens doesn't bring in as much as the Grand Prix, but you know it still had a direct economic impact of 
over 20 million for the past few years and you know this would definitely result in losses in revenue for Singapore's economy. Yeah, that's not a small number. And, you know, while the Singapore Sevens and many other local sports events have been cancelled because of the pandemic, the status of another big event, and that's the Standard Chartered Singapore Marathon, which is held here at the end of the year, still remains unknown. Nicole, are there any updates on whether or not they will still be proceeding? Well, a decision hasn't been reached yet. And what organisers are saying is that, you know, when they do make a decision, it will be guided by the prevailing safe management measures in Singapore. And I can understand that, you know, given how the coronavirus situation is constantly evolving and we don't know how it's going to be in December, whether it's better or it's worse. But we should also remember how COVID-19 has basically overturned the entire sporting calendar, not just in Singapore, as, you know, we were discussing earlier, but also overseas. You know, like the Boston Marathon, New York Marathon and the Berlin Marathon, these three are part of the prestigious major series. All of them have been called off because of the coronavirus. And, you know, two other races in this category, London and Chicago, they're scheduled to take place in October. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we still don't know whether they will actually go ahead because the pandemic is still affecting both Britain and the United States. And actually, one major marathon did go ahead as planned, but that was the Tokyo Marathon in March. And that typically has over... 35,000 entrants, but this year is restricted to just elite runners and wheelchair athletes. So that group kind of dwindled to about 200, you know, just to, to reduce the, the numbers. Is that something that we could see happen with the Stan Chart Marathon here? I mean, what would be the feasibility of an event like that going ahead? Is this one of the options? Okay, so we also sought the opinions of infectious disease experts here in Singapore, you know, to ask what they think about this. And Honestly, at this point, it's really hard to say for sure because we can't predict what's going to happen in December. But one thing that everyone is on is that if it goes ahead, you know, the organisers will have many factors to take into consideration. Because, of course, each person, you know, whether on the organising committee or as a participant, you know, they, they have their own individual responsibility to, to keep themselves and everyone safe as far as possible. But the onus will largely be on the organisers to ensure that events are safe. Because the Standard Chartered Singapore Marathon is, as you could say, is the biggest mass participation running event here every year. You know, last year's event alone in the half marathon and full marathon category, there were nearly 30,000 runners. And, you know, it attracts international runners. And a lot of times the elite runner field is very big. And also there are many runners all over the world. If you remember last week, we were talking about the Adria Tour, the one that was mm. hit by the coronavirus and hosted by world number one Novak Djokovic, right? So some the experts we've spoken to, you know, raised it as an example of what can happen if the sporting community in most precautionary advice. So first of all, there could, of course, be some mitigating measures like staggered slag of times and, you know, Associate Professor Joseph mm-hmm. Carr from NTU's Lee Kong Chien School of Medicine suggests providing different routes for multiple lanes visiting or making event a non-competitive one. Because in a competitive race like this, you know, runners are probably not going to be thinking about safe distancing. They're trying to overtake other runners and get in front and, you know, try to win the race, right? And also, I mean, we were talking about how international this event is. Dr. Pieter Kubicki, who practices at Mount Alvernia Hospital, believes that it might be better for organizers to cancel the year's edition because this is an event that requires a lot of, you know, forward planning. And, and, you know, if you're trying to sort of plan around something, and you're not sure of what the situation is going to be like in the future, it could be a bit hard. And also, given the international field, I mean, if it, if it goes ahead, it will probably have to be limited to countries that have the coronavirus under control. And, you know, we don't know whether it's 
that's possible, you know, by the end of the year. Well, thank you so much. I mean, those are great updates. And I think everybody will, especially those that participate in Stand Chart, will be looking forward to hearing a final update on what's happening there. But that's all we've got time for. We hope that everybody listening enjoyed our sports update for the week.